Well, welcome everybody and we're into the Gospel and we're into part 13 now. Over the last few weeks now, we've started to see that Jesus Christ makes it very clear in Scripture, didn't he? That the future is not bright for everyone. Yeah? Despite what the world says, despite what everybody pictures Jesus as coming in a, remember I said last week, a smiley t-shirt? Yeah, he's not coming in a smiley t-shirt. Yeah? Now, for many in the church, when they read that the future outcome is not bright for everyone, they often superimpose that right on top of those outside of the church. Because it can't be talking about us inside the church. And we're going to see that. We're going to nail this today. And we'll see it. Who it's actually talking about. When Jesus Christ is talking about those outside of the gate. Yeah, remember that? Outside of the gate shouting, Lord, Lord, we should be in. Yeah? He's not talking about those outsiders, those outside of the church. These people are shouting, Lord, Lord. They're shouting, hey, I'm supposed to be in there. I'm supposed to be in with you, Jesus. And he's saying, no, you're not. Yeah, and we've got to see that again today so clearly. And often the way they twist the scriptures to fit that theology, because that's all it is, it's theology, yeah, is they say, oh, yeah, these guys that are depicted by Jesus outside shouting, these were people who were not actually redeemed at all. They were just pretending to be redeemed. <laughs> they were just pretending to be redeemed. And we're going to see that that twisting of Scripture is going to get nailed in the Scripture today as being false. Yeah? And we're going to go through it. Now, I want to go back briefly to Ezekiel 34. Do you remember Ezekiel 34? Remember the false prophets. The false prophets were those depicted in Scripture who were doing the ham-nots. They were not feeding the the sheep, they were not feeding those within the church, the kingdom message of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? If that's what they weren't doing. Yeah? They were not feeding the flock in Ezekiel 34. And I want us to go there because I want us to magnify. I don't want us to gloss over this section of scripture, which we probably have done. Yeah? Let me ask you, how many times have you read it during the week? Yeah? We gloss over them, don't we? So often we gloss over so many important scriptures. But I want you to put a magnifying glass on this. Because this is what we're going to get into today. We're going to get into the subtitle, by the way, is the accountability of the just and the unjust. We're going to see it. Now, verse 34, uh, sorry, chapter 34, verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Do you see what God's concern is? It's for his sheep. Yeah, we saw that at the very beginning of this series. Who he's addressing, who he's concerned about. He's not concerned about those outside of the redeemed. He's concerned about the redeemed. Those he, he has called, those he continues to call, are the ones he's concerned about. Since there was what? No shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Who is he nailing? Who is he addressing? He's addressing the leadership. Mm-hmm. But look, get it clear. They're redeemed. These are the top guys, we're going to see it, these are the top guys in the leadership of Israel. Believe me, these guys are redeemed. But they're not doing what they've been called to do, which was feed the sheep the message of the Messiah. And then when you feed them the message of the Messiah, guess what else you're feeding them? You cannot feed them the message of the Messiah without talking about the coming kingdom of the Messiah. So superimpose this on top of today. How many people are going to the shepherds trying to get fed and they're not getting the message of the kingdom? They're not getting the message of the Messiah. There is no other message other than the message of Jesus Christ, which he declares in the scripture, is the coming earthly kingdom. So don't think because you go to church you're okay. And don't think because you come to this church you're okay. Yeah, we're going to see it today. There is so much more for us to do. Do you know why? Because the Savior of all mankind, and when I say all mankind, I mean the Savior of the redeemed, those who God's calls, yeah, have got to do something. We've got to do something. We're going to see it. But listen to this. Therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. Who's he against? He's against the shepherds the redeemed leadership of Israel, because they're not doing what he asked them to do. Yeah, that is so important. We're going to see that as we go through this, because the title has given us a bit of a clue where we're going today. I want all of us to walk out of here, with, and I've got one objective 
in mind when you walk out of here or when you listen to this on the internet is that you understand who the just are. Mm-hmm. That you understand who the unjust are. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And we're going to see it by going to look at the first resurrection. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Yeah? Now do you see here God is holding those redeemed shepherds accountable. They're holding them accountable. And God is bringing these shepherds, is going to bring these shepherds to task one day. We're going to see when that is. We've actually seen it already. We've seen it that in the resurrection, many of these people, those redeemed leaders and those who have been affected and infected by their teaching are standing outside of the kingdom shouting, Lord, Lord. Yeah. But one thing we have to be really clear when we read these sections, he's talking to the redeemed. Yeah. Don't superimpose this on all your friends and all your family that don't believe in God. This is talking about those called by God, and we're going to go through what redemption is, because when I talk about a redeemed person, yeah, so many people superimpose that, their theology on top of that, as to what that is. And we can't afford to do that. We've got to go by what the scriptures say. So I put the definition of redemption, a really short definition in your notes of redemption. Redemption is the act of God. Did you hear that? <laughs> not your act, not my act. Not something I do. Yeah, I go to church and I do redemption. No, you don't. God does redemption. This is God's job. Yeah, and we as a church have got to understand that we have got to allow God to do this and not think that we've got to go out there and redeem the world. God is into the action of redemption, not you and I, right? So it's the act of God whereby he purchased a people for himself by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ for his purpose. Yeah? For his purpose. Now, did you hear that? It's the act of God. Don't put your actions in there. Don't think you've got to paint everybody into a corner and nail them with Romans 10, 9 and 10 and get them to church and get them to believe the scripture. This is God's job. Right? So God, when he talks about redemption, he's talking about himself. He's talking about what he does. Not what you and I do. We're coming to that. <laughs> Because we've seen what you and I have to do. It's tough. It's hard. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. We're still, uh, you know, you know, we're still talking about the narrow gate here to a large extent. So it's God's calling, isn't it? It's God's calling. It's not your calling. Oh, I, wanted, I want to know God. I want to know Jesus. No, no. You've got to be redeemed to do that. Mm-hmm. Matthew eleven twenty seven tells us it's as he reveals himself to an individual that they get to know him. Salvation. Now this is probably one of the most misunderstood subjects in the whole Christian church today. And believe me, you have got to understand redemption and salvation and how they differ in, in the context of Scripture to understand the Scripture correctly. You will never put the Scriptures together if you do not understand redemption and you don't understand salvation. Now, salvation, what do we do? We say, oh yeah, that person's saved. Yeah, we so often say that. But look, at, look this is sa- uh, salvation in a scriptural context, scriptural definition. It's a future inheritance event. (laughs) Did you get that? It's not something you get today. Yeah, Yeah, we've seen that before in the scripture. Whereby we are delivered into the earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's a future inheritance. Yeah, And salvation is determined at the judgment seat of Christ. And how do we get it? Walking by faith. Yeah, Towards that inheritance is how we how we get, how we gain it, and it's all by God's grace. Yeah. Gotta remember that. Yeah. So when I'm referring to redeemed people today, yeah, have you got that picture now? It's somebody that God has called. Yeah? yeah. It's got nothing to do with them, it's got nothing to do with per se as what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a redemption. It's a purchased possession by God for his purpose. Yeah. Because I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be re- talking about people who are redeemed, and you've got to understand it in that context, right? Because, again, we often talk about people having salvation today, don't we? But that's not strictly true. It's a process. It's a continual process walking towards in faith for that salvation in that coming kingdom. Now, do you remember, the, remember when we looked at the young rich man? Remember when Jesus 
talked to him. And, and he came to Jesus and said, look, I, I want to be saved. I want to have entrance into that coming. What do I need to do? And he says, well, you need to do these commandments. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you know, I've done all them. Oh, great. Right, here's now what you need to do. You need to sell off all your riches because he knew he was totally consumed by his riches and he would never walk in faith. Did you hear that? Never walk in faith if he was consumed by his possession. So he said, get rid of all that. And then what you've got to do, little rich man, you've got to follow me in the present tense. Oh, really? Oh, forget it. And Jesus was choking on the camel dust. Yeah, because he had a Bentley. He had a Bentley and he didn't want to get rid of it. He didn't want to trade it in for a, uh, what's a small car? Pinto. <laughs> yeah, that's an American car. Yeah, he didn't want to trade it in. He said, oh, no, no, I, I'm, I like the air conditioning. I'm going to stick with this and see you, Jesus. Now, do you get a picture of Jesus running after this guy, begging him to come to church? No, you don't. Yeah? But it was a decision, wasn't it? Because that rich man would have continued, if he had continued to walk in that faith, towards that inheritance, guess what? He would turn up in the kingdom. Because Jesus said he would. Yeah? You could take his word for it. Yeah? Every one of us can. Now, there's a great word in our title today. Accountability. Don't we love that word? (laughs) No, we don't. We don't. That's why you've got the many going to churches that don't hold them accountable. And that's why Jesus said, this track, yeah, are going to have few on it. So many listening to this have already determined who these just are. Oh yeah, got them figured out. And the unjust, yeah, got them figured out as well. In their minds. Because the just are so often determined to be those who are, quote, Christian. And those who, quote, believe in Jesus. Now, I've done this for years. Yeah. 30 odd years of my life, I did this. So, I'm not pointing any fingers. Because, believe me, there's plenty of fingers coming back when I point one finger. (laughs) Yeah. So, the just are those who have come to Jesus, have led Jesus into their heart. We all know these phrases are unscriptural. And then the unjust, on the other hand are those outside of the church. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't think he has any impact on life, in this life or the future life to come. Yeah, that's those unjust. Yeah, we'll get them. God's going to hold them accountable. But the just, oh, we're all in church. We're all holding up our hands in the meetings. We've all got our Bibles in our laps. But we're going to see from the scripture the accuracy of what that actually means. Yeah. But it's going to be a learning process. I might add, an unlearning process for many of us. Yeah, That's going to determine who these two groups are. Because, believe me, this is, it may sound a really simple and defined objective today to understand this. But it's got huge, massive implications for all of us. Once we understand who the just are, once we understand who the unjust are, it's got huge implications. Massive implications for all of us. And many listening to this will not take it on board because of the accountability. Did you get that? Because of the accountability. People don't want to be accountable. Yeah, we're going to see that as we get through this. So if we can allow the scriptures, and listen to this, if we can allow the scriptures to define who the just are, who the unjust are, it's going to give us a fantastic insight into what the future holds for all of us. Anybody not want to know what the future holds for us? Of course we do. Yeah? And for most people, it's a guessing game. In and outside of the church. Yeah. But the scriptures are clear on it. God wants us to know what the future holds. Yeah? And he wants you to be accountable in this life for that future. And he is going to hold us all accountable. But it's going to dispel so much error that has crept into the church. Remember that creeping we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Satan creeps into the church. Did you hear that? Into the church. I'm not talking about people outside of the church teaching stuff. I'm talking about what the church is teaching. I'm talking about today's theology. Yeah? He's so crept into the church and he's left the church being totally presumptuous about their future. We're going to see it here in a fantastic record as we go into the scriptures here. They're presumptuous. They're presuming everything's okay. Why? Because the false prophets are teaching them that. They're teaching them that, yeah, you don't need to worry. Jesus did it all. Put your feet up, have a rest, and just get on with life. 
and just come to church. Yeah. Because we've seen over the last few weeks, haven't we, a whole bunch of redeemed people getting kicked out of the kingdom, haven't we? Despite they themselves thinking, 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 did you get it? They're thinking they're okay when they're not. It's a huge, huge lesson Jesus Christ is outlining for us here. He's detailing for us. Don't think you're okay. We're going to see it in the record coming up so clearly. And yet, they're thinking they're okay, but they're outside, aren't they? And yet, he is seen figuratively shutting the gate in their face despite their cries to get in. Remember that? And always bear in mind, this gate that we're talking about, it's figurative, isn't it? It's figurative language that Jesus is using to build a picture of what actually occurs in an indivisible moment of time. You're not going to be standing outside a gate with a whole queue of people behind you shouting, Jesus, let me in. That ain't going to happen. He's using figurative language so you and I can get a picture in our minds of the spiritual event that's going to occur whether you like it or not. But it's going to occur in an indivisible moment of time. It doesn't matter how many essays you've written as to why you did what you did. This life right now is the determining factor. Remember the unwise virgins? They didn't prepare when? In this life. The preparation doesn't happen when he comes back. Forget it. If you haven't prepared over the last few days, and if you don't continue to prepare in the days to come, you will get the accountability of Christ at the judgment seat. And I, I, your, your life story about why you did what you did doesn't come into the picture. Yeah? Because he spelled it out for us, and we've been seeing for weeks now what we need to do. The way they get around this, so much in the church, so many people in the church get around this, is, oh, well, yeah, those people who you see depicted as being held accountable, these are the people who are pretending they're redeemed. Or they're pretending, they're going to church, they're hypocrites, and, and they're just pretending they love Jesus. That is a twisting of the scripture. That is them trying to twist the scripture so they can account for the redeemed being locked out of the kingdom. You see, because their theology doesn't allow for that. But listen up, Jesus' theology does. And so we better get into his theology. And not what the church deems to be correct because of their theology. Because you, can you figure out how these people were pretending? Remember we saw them. They were doing many mighty signs, miracles and wonders in his name. Yeah. Do they sound like pretentious people? I think they're not. They're redeemed people who are bringing about phenomenal power in the name of Jesus Christ. These guys are not pretending. They were prophesying in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ. They were prophesying. They were casting out devil spirits in his name. And they weren't slow to tell Jesus that. And he said, no, I don't care what you've done. You didn't come the route that I told you to come. You're outside. Now, he wasn't having a conversation with these guys. It's figurative because they're already outside the kingdom. The door is already shut. It's not a debating society and he's going to get hear their story or going to hear their side of the story. And depending on what their side of the story sounds like, oh, I might let them in. No! Get that, get that picture out of your mind. Because he clearly depicts they're outside, the door's shut, and he's saying, no, because you didn't come the route I said to come, you're outside, and guess what? You're staying outside. You don't see any record of Jesus letting some of them in. Oh, I feel sorry for that guy. In you come. No, it ain't going to happen. Now, we're going to go into the scriptures, as I say, and allow the scriptures to give us the answers. Isn't it so much easier when you do that? But you know what you have to do? You have to get your theology out of the way. Because <laughs> your theology will continue to be a stumbling block to all of us if we allow it to get in the way. Because you've got to twist the scripture to get around some of this stuff. If you're, going to, if you're going to go by the theology of the day, you're going to have to twist scripture to get around some of these things. But listen up. If we don't allow the scriptures to tell us what it is, we will constantly be in error. We will be in error. So we've got to allow the scriptures. And, and listen up. They won't be the answers you and I want to hear. 
We've seen that in the last couple of weeks. Hard. Agonize. Oh, I love it. No, you don't. And I don't. Yeah, I want easy. I want no agony. And thank you, Jesus. Get me in there. Get me out of this world and all the hassles. And let me in easily. And he'd say, no, you can't. You cannot get into the kingdom easily. He said it. So I don't care what anybody else says. We've got to go by the words of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that today. So do you know what that means? We are all going to walk out of here today and listen to it, wherever you are, with a whole lot of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I, want, I, I came to church for some comfort. Well, here's a whole bunch of discomfort. Yeah? Because Jesus so often... Do you remember the rich man I talked about? Hey, you want to follow me? Remember he told the multitudes? Oh, well, if you want to follow me, you're not going to have a pillow to put your head on. Oh, hands up. Multitude became a very small crowd. I can almost guarantee that. Yeah? Because he painted a picture of discomfort. Do you think the disciples and the apostles had a life of comfort? You need to read the scriptures. They had a life of hell. They all got martyred. For Jesus Christ. Stick your hands up. If you want that. See? See what I mean? But theology paints this picture. Come to church. We'll show you how to have all the abundance in your life. We'll show you how to be, never to be sick. All the stuff that they superimpose on top of the scripture. And never see it in scripture. You just don't see it. So, do you fancy a bit of discomfort? Well, I'm sure we've got a little bit of it already. <laughs> now, Tim Black gave me a great quote. Listen up. <laughs> Tim's great for quotes. And there was a great quote he gave me. And he said, If you board the wrong train, have you got a picture now? You're boarding the wrong train. Yeah? And by the way, Courtney's here today. That's like eight hours to come to church. I mean, what is that? That is. So we got representation from the United States. Right? So if you board the wrong train, which she didn't because she's here, but if you board the wrong train, right? It's no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. Do you get the picture? Yeah. Oh, I'm heading for Portland, but I want to go to Vancouver. Okay, I'm going to run along the corridor in the opposite direction. You need to get off the train. Do you understand? And I'm talking about your theological train, that if you jumped on it and it's going in the wrong direction, it's going in the opposite direction to what Jesus Christ is talking about, jump off. Don't stay on it. Try and work it out. Try and twist the scripture so you can get in the right direction. That train will never go in the right direction. You know why? Because the tracks are already paved. <laughs> yeah. No matter what you do, you've got to get off at the next stop. And the next stop is now. <laughs> yeah. The town is now. Jump off now and get on the right train. The words of Jesus Christ, right? Now, we started off in this eagle for a reason today. Because I wanted us all to see that there's consequences for our actions. Did you hear that? Because most of us don't hear it. Because if we actually believed it, we'd take some different action. We'd get off that train. And I'm talking about theological systems, but I'm also talking about the actions of our life. If the actions of our life are depicting we're going in the wrong direction, jump off. Yeah? Get on the right direction. Because he's coming back. And when he comes back, as I said, you're not going to have a a one-to-one discussion with him about why you did what you did. All indications of scripture, he couldn't care less. He's telling you, do what's right. And when you don't do what's right, you're responsible, you're accountable, and you will get the consequences, and I will get the consequences for my actions. We're going to see that. But do you realize that many don't think there are any consequences? Yeah? Because they think, they believed one time in Jesus. And I, I'm talking about one time. Regardless of what they did from their life, following on from that into their life. They're covered. Despite all their ongoing actions, Jesus did it all. And we're going to see today, nothing could be further from the truth. If the scriptures are true. If Jesus Christ spoke the truth. Yeah, and he did. Because we always got to remember, it's the scriptures that are true. Not what you've been taught. Not what I've been taught for 30 odd years of my life. The scriptures are true. We've got to get back to the scriptures. Yeah? And then we adjust to what the scriptures say. That sounds really easy, doesn't it? Believe me, it's not. Yeah? It's not easy. But we've got to do it. Why? Because the consequences are absolutely massive if we don't. 
Because the church has been taught they've been delivered from all their sin, past, present, future. Jesus did it all. Put your feet up. You're okay. Yeah, we're going to see some people who, in, the, in this next record who just were taught the same thing by who? Korah. One of the biggest false prophets in Scripture. Yeah, He's not only in the Old Testament, but he got promoted to being in the New Testament as well. That's how big he was. But just watch the influence this guy has. And look out in the world and see the influence some of these false prophets have over thousands and thousands of God's redeemed people. It's huge. So I want us briefly to look at a historical event. Yeah? You know, this is so similar to what's going on today. Yeah? I love this record. And it's number 60. Now we're going to look at it briefly. We're not going to go into all the detail of it. I just want you to pick up from this the accountability. Do you understand? The consequences, the accountability, all words we don't want to hear, but it's huge in this record. And it's in here so that you and I don't get into this situation. So much of the old, you know, the Hebrew scriptures are written so that you and I can learn from them. So when we read Korah, don't do what Korah did. Yeah, Yeah. sounds so basic that, but believe me, most people miss it. Verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Koath, son of Levi and Dathan and Ibram, the son of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, son of Reuben. Took men, right? So did you see his influence there? It's a list of names, but it's there for a reason. He took men. And they rose up before Moses. So he, he gathered these guys, and they must have been of influence. God listed them. And he said, right guys, you ready? We're going to go after Moses. Who was Moses? God's man. And he says, and he wrote, they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel. It's the redeemed we're talking about here. These are not people from the nations of the Gentile nations. They're God's redeemed people. We're going to see, not only are they God's redeemed people, they're God's redeemed leadership. And their leadership, they were well known. Did you get it? Remember last week? <laughs> they were well known. They were of influence. They could get through to the people. They're redeemed. Oh, look at this. 250 chiefs of the congregation. Did you catch that? They're in church. <laughs> yeah, They're part of the congregation. They're part of God's redeemed people. Yeah, But not only that, they were chosen from the assembly. Look what God puts in here. Well-known men. <laughs> oh, I know that. Pick a name. Dathan. Yeah. They were well-known. They had influence. Over the congregation, if we say this, Korah's thinking in his mind, and I get backed up by these 250 guys, oh, they're, they're going to come with us. And yes, they did. But look at what happens when they do it. That's what I want you to see. Yeah? From the assembly, well-known men, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. That is not a good idea. <laughs> and they're going to figure it out in a couple of hours. Why it's not a good idea? Because they represented God. They were mouthpieces for God. Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And we're going to see the creator of heaven and earth using his power to sort these guys out. Keep it firmly in your mind. These are redeemed people. Not only redeemed people, redeemed leadership. Redeemed leadership who were well known. Phenomenal. They assembled themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said to them, You have gone too far. Right, you've gone this far, but we're not going any further with you, Moses. You've gone too far. For all, you know, listen up to this. Get your head onto these verses. Yeah, put your eyes down. Look at the verses. For all in the congregation are holy. Now, superimpose this on where we are today in the church. They're saying exactly the same thing. You're holy. Everybody in church is holy. They've held their hand up to Jesus. They've, you know, they've, they've done Romans 10, 9 and 10. They're holy. They've got the righteousness of God. What are you on about? You're going too far. And they're in the congregation are holy. Every one of them. There's no exception. <laughs> there's, there's not one guy, not one woman, not one child who's an exception to not being holy. Wow. No, that's a congregation every pastor wants. Yeah, and the Lord is what among them? The Lord is with them. The Lord is among them. 
Do you get a picture of these guys outside of the kingdom shouting, Lord, Lord, hey, we did this all in your name. Yeah. So the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? And when you look at that record, the reality is that's what they were doing. Yeah. So the first thing we see here is, these are not people outside the redeemed congregation, are they? Get that clear. Yeah, they're the redeemed, called by God to walk towards that inheritance, salvation, and the future coming kingdom. Yeah, but not only that, they're the pick of the congregation. Did you catch that? They're the well-known ones. They're the top, dynamic, charismatic leadership within the children of Israel. And look at what's happening to them. Because that's remember that's remember we saw that that's Satan's top of his to-do list is to get these type of guys. Yeah, why? Because they've got much more influence over the congregation. Yeah. So if he can get these guys turned on to his twisting and theological twisting of scripture, he's got the rest. Yeah, so important. Now we're not getting into the whole record here, but I want us to see the responsibility of our actions here, right? So let's look at the outcome. Jump to the outcome. Of the redeemed leaders of Israel. Did you hear that? It's the redeemed leadership here. And not only that, but the, because of the redeemed leadership influence, their families get destroyed in this situation. Now bear in mind what Korah is saying about all these people we're going to see in a minute. All the congregation is holy, without exception. Yeah, Every one of them, and not only that, the Lord is among them. What are you on about? Was that true? Absolutely not. We're going to see what God thought of this in a second. Yeah? Now, so, because I want us to fast forward, you got your finger on the fast forward button, to the next morning. Not too far away. In the next morning, let's see what God called this holy congregation. Yeah? That He, God, is supposed to be among. Verse 19. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them all at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And the Lord. Of the, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. You would have thought that would have been a bit of a clue. But it wasn't. Yeah? Jump to 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Who is he talking to? The congregation. Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan and Abraham. Get hightailing it away from these tents. You got that picture? So you've got the congregation... You've got the leadership there at their tents, at the door of the tents, and he's telling them, get away from these guys. Back up. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. Do you get any feeling of consequence there? <laughs> any feeling of accountability there? These were leadership within the congregation, redeemed leadership called by God. He destroyed them. He destroyed them. Uh, 33. So they all that belonged to them went down alive into the grave, into Sheol, and the earth closed over them. Do you get that picture? Do you get the sound effects of what's going on here? That wasn't done in silence. The ground would have been creaking. There would have been stones flying everywhere. There was bodies screaming and howling. Men, women, and children down into that hole. Have you got that? And then you heard the creaking of the earth going back together again. This is all happening in front of the congregation. And bear in mind, I'm not going to go to this record, but the next day, that same congregation goes and does the same thing. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. So look at, they all saw it. And they, the next day, they go and do exactly the same thing. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So the leadership that he influenced to go against Moses and Aaron, which was effectively going against God, got destroyed. Now, do you see there's consequences for actions now? <laughs> yeah? Uh, and this is depicting horrendous consequences. But we're going to see probably next week 
what the consequences are for the unjust. And we're going to get into it as we go through this today. Yeah. So the redeemed have been held accountable. Do you see that? It's no different today. We're going to be held accountable. How do we know that? Because we know there's a judgment seat of Christ coming. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, nobody missed out of the redeemed, may receive what is due. Do you hear that? What is due? What, how, does, how is that depicted? For what he has done. In the body, whether good or evil. And again, what we do in, in so much of the church today is we twist that scripture to say, oh, the bema, this judgment seat of Christ, oh yeah, that's where you go to get your rewards. And they stop, put a period in after good. And they have no explanation for the evil. We do. Because we're going to see it today. There's consequences for good. And there's consequences for evil. For all of us. So they don't read the or evil. Yeah? You know why? It's discomfort. That's not going to give a nice message to the church. That doesn't fit with my theology that you're, you're, you're shrouded with the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ when you stick your hand up in the meeting. So I've got to twist that. I've got to get evil out of there. There's, there's actually no consequence. As long as you do what, you, what I say, you're okay. That's what Korah was shouting. Moses... The congregation is holy. Every one of them is holy. And God is among them. So far from the truth. And I said last week, you know, the wrath of God is coming. The scriptures cry out to us, the wrath of God is coming. But what the church does is, they superimpose all that wrath onto those outside of the church. Now we're going to deal with those outside of the church, maybe next week. I'm not sure if we'll get through it next week. Because we're only dealing this week with the first resurrection. It's the first resurrection we're focused on this week. Yeah, but there is a resurrection coming for these people called the second resurrection. But John 5, 24, where we want to go. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has Ionion life. Zoe Ionion. That's life in the kingdom. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Why? Because he's inherited his inheritance, by what? Believing on Jesus Christ. That's not a one-time event. Remember the rich guy. He said to him, follow me in the present tense and you will get this life, eternal life that I'm talking about. There's a life of the age coming up. You'll get it if you walk with me in the present tense. And if we do that and we gain an inheritance, we will not come into that judgment that we're going to see in the scripture. Now look at verse 28 of the same chapter. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all... Now we're going to see this. It's just going to be referring to everybody. It's not. Because the first resurrection is clearly depicted as being for a certain group. The certain group we're going to see is the group of God's redeemed. So we've got to be very clear. This is not talking about everybody who are in the tombs. This is not talking about everybody who has died. Because it's all with distinction. It's not all without exception. It's all with distinction. It's all within a specific group. Because God limits himself to that first resurrection, to a specific group. We're going to see it. Who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Hold on. Those who have done good. Don't forget. No, I don't want you to forget 2 Corinthians 5.10. Yeah? Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Fantastic. Hold on. And those who have done evil, do you remember the evil back in the judgment seat? Do you remember that? Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And we immediately in the church make out there's two resurrections there. No, it's just talking about the one resurrection. We're going to see it. That this resurrection that's in view here for all of those who are living at, the, at this time, and for the apostles and Paul and all these guys, they were all looking back. We're going to see it in the scripture. They were all looking back to the Hebrew scriptures. What do the Hebrew scriptures? They're not making it up as they go along. Yeah, they've got a, their only term of reference were the Hebrew scriptures. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the 
the Hebrew Scriptures intimately. So did Nicodemus. Remember that when we went into Nicodemus, Jesus talking to him about the resurrection. Ezekiel 36, 37, remember that. So what we have in view here is one resurrection. But very important to realize that there's people coming out of that resurrection who have done good. And there's people coming out of that very same resurrection who have done evil. And there's consequences for that. Look at Acts, Acts 24, 15. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be, there will be, a resurrection of both the just. Do you see resurrection is singular? Do you see that? It's not resurrections. It's resurrection. Yeah? Because it's one resurrection. But in that one resurrection, there's two groups of people being resurrected. It's actually one group of people. It's all of the redeemed. But the outcome of that resurrection is, hold on, you've done good. You're resurrected to Ionian life. Hold on, you've done evil. You're redeemed person you. You're going to come to judgment. Now, if we can get a hold of this, by the end of today, that's my objective, is that you can see this. Because if you can see this, this is going to answer so many questions for you as we move on in the scriptures. Not least, it's going to dispel the error in the church today. That there is no judgment, there is no consequence, there's no accountability for a redeemed person. Absolutely is. And it's so devilish to teach anything else. So there will be a resurrection of both the just. Who are they? It's in your notes. Who are they? They're the ones who have done good. Yeah, They've walked with Jesus. They've, they've continuing to walk towards that walk of faith of their inheritance in that future kingdom. And the unjust. Hold on. Don't put a period there. And the unjust. Yeah. Those who have done evil. So that's our main objective today. Is that we all clearly see who is raised in the first resurrection. Okay. If we nail this from scripture. Who we're talking about in these sections. It's going to be a fantastic uh, learning for us. Yeah. But what's really important is who has been referred to right here. The just and the unjust in one resurrection. And we're going to see from the scriptures exactly who this is talking about. Because we, as I say, when we have to realize that when these specific scriptures we are reading were written, the whole Bible had not been written. Did you catch that? Paul's not sitting there with a leather-bound King James Zonderman version of the Bible, is he? And neither is Jesus. Yeah. So a lot of the scriptures that they were referring to had already been written in the past. Did you catch that? Some of them had not been written yet in the future. That's really important to understand. Seems so basic, but people miss it. Because what they do is they're super, superimposing future events on this. You cannot do that. They are looking at the Hebrew scriptures and we're going to see it. Paul talks about it. Titus 1.1. 1, 1. Paul. Now, are you, do you understand? Most of his epistles haven't been written yet. He's an expert in the Hebrew scriptures. So what he's talking about, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Just like Jesus when he spoke to Nicodemus, he knew exactly Jesus knew exactly what was in the Hebrew Scriptures. And he said to Nicodemus, What do you mean? You're a leader, teacher, the teacher of Israel, and you don't know this? So Paul knows exactly what he's referring to. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. In hope of Ionian life, life of the age, which God, who never lies, Promised before the ages began. So he's referring to a promise of God, a past promise of God, of this everlasting life. Another version says, Paul, a bond servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writes for the faith of the chosen of God and the knowledge of truth that produces godliness on the basis of the hope of everlasting life, which God, who cannot lie, promised very long time ago. So what do you think you and I should do? <laughs> we should figure out where that promise is. Yeah? Because if we could figure out where that promise of everlasting life is and who, you catch that? Who it's referring to, then we've got it nailed. Yeah? 
not because of how smart I am or how smart you are. It's how smart God is. It's revealing it in the scripture so that we can go back in there and allow the scripture to interpret who the just are, who the unjust are, what is this resurrection of life, and what is this resurrection of judgment. Yeah. So it's a long time ago. So the expression used by Paul here in Titus is the identical expression used in a Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, right? But it, let's go to Daniel 12.2. Now, this is a verse that we've been in before, but it's so, so key to understanding the scripture. Yeah. So when Paul was talking about the promise of resurrection, Paul could only be looking at Daniel 12.2. Why? Because it's the only place. Did you catch that? It's the only place it was used in the whole of the Hebrew scripture. So when he and Titus talked about, yeah, God promised this everlasting life long time ago, guess what he was talking about? Daniel 12, 2. Why do I know that? Why do you, why can you put your hand on heart and say, yeah, that was, that's got to be it. It's the only place. We don't have half a dozen places to choose from. It's the only place. So we can figure out what's going on in Daniel. We're going to get so close to figuring out what this resurrection, did you catch that? Resurrection is all about. Yeah. So it's absolutely critical we, in our understanding of this accountability to understand what's going on in Daniel. And we're going to see actually, shortcut a little bit, but the just and the unjust can only be referring to God's redeemed that has huge implications for us yeah, in the church. Because some of the redeemed, now you've got that definition of redeemed, don't you? Some of the redeemed are going to be raised in that first resurrection. We're all going to be raised. Some are going to be gathered because they're already alive. But Daniel doesn't deal with that. We saw that, I think it was last week. But all going to be raised. But there's two outcomes. For the good and the bad. Now you thought we got the message with 2 Corinthians 5.10. That's a huge clue. But no we don't. Because our theology doesn't allow it. So we have to twist and mangle the scriptures to make it out that all the congregation is holy. Leave them alone. All the congregation are not holy. Open your eyes to your own life. Open your eyes to so many in the church. We don't live holy lives the way we want to live them. Yeah? And we've got to do it. Sounds easy. We've got to do it. So, are we clear? It's only one resurrection in view here. The second resurrection, right, was revealed to the Apostle John when he penned the book of Revelation. But there was no second resurrection in view when Jesus was on earth and he referred to resurrection. He was referring to Daniel the same as Paul was referring to Daniel because God had not revealed it. He had not revealed that there is going to be a second resurrection. And that second resurrection is going to deal with all those people outside of the redeemed. Not nice. When you see it, and we will see it as we go through this. So Jesus and Paul had Daniel chapter 12 in view. That's what they were looking at. They were restricted to that. They weren't in the book of Revelation talking about the great white throne. They didn't see it. Why? Because God had not revealed it. And in fact, God hadn't even revealed what's going to happen to the redeemed who were still alive to Daniel. Because he's Daniel, you were going to see it. He's only dealing with the dead. He's only dealing with those who have turned to dust. They didn't know what was going to happen to those who were belonging to Christ who were still alive. Yeah. Why? Because it wasn't revealed until Paul wrote it in Corinthians. Do you understand? This is so critical, guys. If you get a hold of this today, this is going to open the eyes, your eyes to so much of the scripture that you will just get so thrilled with understanding so much of the gospels, what Jesus was talking about when he talked about resurrection, when he talked about the just and the unjust. Yeah? It's fantastic. So this event that we're talking about is the exact same event Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. Remember when we looked at that? Ezekiel, bit of a clue. 36, 37, dealing with the resurrection of who? Israel. Yeah, he was talking about Israel. Then we saw it was later revealed to Paul, who would also be included in that first resurrection. Yeah. So you're clear now. We've got one resurrection in view. Okay. 
Don't allow your mind to drift to anything else. One resurrection in view, one resurrection in Daniel in view. Yeah. So let's read Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Because once we clarify who's raised here in Daniel, yeah, we can then understand the rest of Scripture and what the outcome of these two groups of the redeemed are, both the just and the unjust. This is phenomenal. This is huge. Don't minimize this in your mind, how important this is. Because this destroys so much of the modern theology of the day. That the congregation is holy. That God is among them. Not if the scriptures are true and they are. Daniel 12.1 At that time shall arise Michael. Now we're talking here about future events. Even though we're going back in historical, biblical Hebrew scriptures, this is talking about events to come. Yeah. At that time shall arise... And you, you've got to read these in context, by the way. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, just as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. Do you understand the wrath of God is coming? Yeah? We get an insight into it here. So there's a time of trouble coming. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many. Did you catch that? It doesn't say, remember we've been through, it doesn't say all, not everybody in the tombs, remember we saw that in John, it's not everybody, yeah, but many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, so we know that's a a euthymy for what? Death, isn't it? God talks about you're falling asleep, you're dead until this happens. You're not in heaven, looking down at this happening. You're dead. Do you know what that means? Dead. (laughs) Yeah. You've snuffed it. You've given it up. Given life up. You're in the grave. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Isn't that incredible? Now bear in mind, if you're cremated and you're strewn across the Pacific Ocean, God's got to get that together. But guess what? He can do that. Why? Because he's God. Look at the creation around us. He pulls this together. Pulls those who have been dead for hundreds and thousands of years if they've been dead and belong to Christ, he pulls it together. Shall awake. Incredible. These to everlasting life, and these to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, do you catch it? This is one resurrection. This is not two resurrections. There's only one resurrection depicted in Scripture, and this is it. But importantly, we've got to understand that on, in that one resurrection, there's one group getting resurrected. Who? We're going to see who it is. Because God tells us who it is. Don't take my word for it. God tells us, through the Apostle Paul, who these people are. But it's one. They're all getting awakened. And we see it in, in Corinthians. Also those who are alive are gathered together. They're not resurrected. They are gathered together. Because they've still got their bodies. They're still in this life. yeah, That could be you and I. I don't know. Because God doesn't give us a calendar. yeah, Despite what all the TV programs say. So we've got one resurrection with two different outcomes. Right? Now, let me ask you. Where else does it really go into detail about this resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15. And I think in our past we've gone through virtually every verse of this chapter. One of my favorite chapters. But 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see so clearly who this is talking about. Because we've got to allow the scripture to tell us, don't we? We can't jump on this bandwagon and say, well, I think it's so-and-so. Oh, I I don't think it's that group. I think it's this group. Oh, no. God's not leaving it up to you and I. (laughs) Thank goodness. Right? He's allowing the scriptures to tell us. And Paul, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, by revelation of God, is going to tell us who gets up in this resurrection, then we have it nailed for today. If we can allow the scriptures to tell us that, we've got it nailed. We've got our objective achieved. right? But don't forget now, the second resurrection is not in view here. right? So when Paul is penning Corinthians, he's still looking back at Daniel. Yeah? He's still looking back at that record in Daniel. He's not looking forward to the revelation given to John in the book of Revelation. Yeah? So when we're reading Paul's epistle, 
He's filling in the blanks yeah, for us on who's involved in Daniel 12 too. How do we know that? Because they're only seeing one resurrection, that's why. Yeah, they're only seeing one. And we've got to keep that firmly at the forefront of all of our minds as we go through this. Don't let it slip. Because so many do. They get so confused because they allow themselves to wander into the book of Revelation when Paul is talking about Daniel 12 too. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised... Now, so right here, we're going to get the definition of what happened in Daniel. That one resurrection of the redeemed and two outcomes. He's going to tell us what it is. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Did you catch that? It's those falling asleep in Christ. What does that mean? Well, for most of the church... They stick their own definition on top of that. And you can't afford to do that. You and I can't afford to do that. We've got to allow the scripture to dictate to us what it means to be in Christ. Yeah. Again, it's not you holding your hand up in a meeting and saying you love Jesus. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Do you get the... Do you get the this definition here, talking about resurrection, they're asleep. They're dead. They're not jumping off their cloud in heaven into the grave to get resurrected. You know that's what people teach. It's ridiculous. They're dead. Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection. Did you catch that? It's singular. It's resurrection. What's he talking about? Daniel. Same thing he was talking about in, in Titus 1 1 and 1 2. Yeah. Daniel 12 2. It's one resurrection of the dead. Of the what? Of the dead, not the alive. Not those up in the clouds singing on the harps with Jesus and the angels. They're not. They're dead. That's why the resurrection is such a central focus for all of us. It's because it's what brings life. There is no life outside of this. It's so devilish. And most of Christendom, you go and talk to them, 99% of Christendom is teaching the dead are alive. They're not really dead. Your granny who died last week, she's okay. She's with Jesus. Put that in your pipe and smoke it and just be comfortable about it. Yeah? So devilish. Where was it? Oh yeah, verse 22. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Why do they need to be made alive? Because they're dead. Do you get the message? <laughs> they're dead. But each in his own order. Hold on now, this is really important. Christ the first root, so he got up first. Then, then, at his coming. Not when you die. Did you catch that? At his coming, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Hallelujah. Because those who belong to Christ at his coming, and we know in the context here, it's going to be those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Yeah, But it's also going to be those who are alive who are in Christ. Those who belong to Christ. Now don't superimpose a meaning on top of that. Because you've got to allow the scripture to do that. Yeah, 30 odd years of my life I superimposed a meaning on that wrongly and we've got to allow the scripture to do it and then if, it, if what the scripture says catch my tongue there if what the scripture says is, is, is right and if what you think is wrong guess what, jump off the train don't start running up the corridor because it ain't going to change yeah so Paul here is clarifying those who are raised in Daniel 12 are those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Catch that? That's definition. So we know who is getting raised in Daniel. It's those who have fallen asleep in the Messiah. Those who had the Messiah firmly in view. Those who had been redeemed by God. Those who had the coming kingdom as their great hope. And they're the same, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are the same as those who belong to Christ. Because it's the same section. What does that mean? 
should be immediately asking yourself, well, what does that mean? How do I know if I belong to Christ? And before we do that, let's clarify one point up to now. We've only been talking about those asleep, haven't we? The dead. But there are also those who are alive. And we see that they're not resurrected. Because you can't be resurrected if you're alive. So if you're alive in heaven, guess what? You're not getting resurrected. Because resurrection only relates to the dead. So what, do they stay in heaven? It's ridiculous. Yeah, the whole thing, your whole Bible falls apart. So Daniel's only referred to those who are asleep in the dust of the earth. Yeah, Because look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. What's a mystery? This was held back. This was held back from Daniel. Why? I don't know. But it was revealed to Paul. And he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all, all with distinction, sleep. Why? Because some of people who are redeemed are going to be alive. When Jesus Christ went, comes back. Remember, verse 22, verse 23 said, Then at his coming. So there's going to be some people who are alive at his coming. They're not going to get resurrected. They're going to get what's referred to as gathered together. Look at this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all what be changed. That's all with distinction. That's all in the group that we've been seeing who are belonging to Christ. Yeah, that's really important. So right here is the revelation of the mystery of what would happen to those not referred to in Daniel. Now, fantastically, God fills in these blanks for us. Those who belong to Christ, but who weren't dead. Yeah. So it gives us a solid picture of exactly what's going to happen in the resurrection. It's one resurrection. It's the resurrection of the redeemed. It's the resurrection of those who belong to Christ. We haven't defined that yet. Don't superimpose your definition on that yet. But it's those redeemed. That's what we've got to see today. As we come to the end here. We've got to see that it's the redeemed who are getting resurrected in Daniel. But it's resurrected to life or it's resurrected to judgment. For the good and the evil. So key that we see this. Because now we've got absolute clarity on who is involved. We should have absolutely no question who's involved in that first resurrection. It's, it's those some who have fallen asleep in Christ and it's those who are still living who are in Christ and belong to Christ. Now, many, as I say, are already superimposing their own meaning on these terms. Again, we have to allow the scriptures to define what it means to be in Christ, what it means to belong to Christ. I'm running out of time here, so let's document the definition real quickly of these people before we close here. So we'll pick it up from here next week. Galatians 5.24. Now, listen up. Are you listening? And those who belong to Christ Jesus. I mean, could God make it any simpler? Here's the definition, guys. Church, definition coming up. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. So he's defined it. I don't need you defining it. I don't need to define it for anybody else. God defines it right here in Scripture. Yeah, it's fantastic. Because you know why? This is the truth. This is the truth. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have you figured out that it's not a one-off event? <laughs> yeah, That's why we have a high priest in the Holy of Holies making intercession for us for the sin when we don't live up to the standards of the Word of God. Yeah, That's why he's there. But are you starting to see he's defined it? It's those who have crucified the, the flesh, its passions and desires. And it's active tense, right? Those who belong to Christ have done this. The subject is doing it. We have got to do it. We've got to continue to walk in faith, continue to walk in the will of the Father, and we will be raised in that resurrection to life. Because we are walking in faith towards that inheritance, that promised inheritance of God. This is exactly what Jesus outlined to the rich man. You continue to walk with me in faith, you will enter into Zoe Ionion, eternal life. He didn't tell him to do a one-off verse. Neither did Paul, neither did any... You can't find anybody in Scripture telling people to do a verse, you're okay. But I'll tell you this, you can find plenty of them outside of this place. <laughs> yeah. So today we've seen there was one resurrection, haven't we, in view, for all of those who are recorded in Scripture, recorded in Daniel 12. 
It's also in Ezekiel 36, 37. A whole pile of places this resurrection is, but specifically we were looking at Daniel. Yeah? And we've seen that the just and the unjust are those who have been redeemed by God. These unjust referred to in Scripture are not the outsiders. I'm going to deal with them later. That's what God keeps saying. I'm going to deal with these guys later. Yeah? And we've seen today one resurrection for God's redeemed with two completely different outcomes. So important. And next week we're going to see what these outcomes hold for both categories of God's redeemed. Yeah? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your truth. Thank you for the greatness of your scripture, Father, and that we can come to a truth of these, come to an accurate knowledge of these as we move forward in our walks for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.